The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 7. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's King Lear with me, your host, Conor Hanmerty. The drama of this first scene is tightly constructed. As soon as Kent has been banished, we get a flourish and Gloucester reappears with Burgundy and the King of France. Some texts might have Cornwall announce the two, and some even go so far as to suggest that Cordelia does it, since the folio gives the line to C-O-R. It might be interesting to have Cordelia do it, since these are her two suitors, but it seems a bit brazen for her to be speaking, since Lear has banished her from his sight. Whoever you're most interested in hearing the line can have it. It's either Cordelia, Cornwall, or, as in my text, Gloucester, and the line goes, Here's France and Burgundy, my noble lord. Here are Burgundy and the King of France. Lear decides to speak first to Burgundy. My lord of Burgundy, we first address towards you, who with this king hath rivalled for our daughter. What, in the least, will you require in present dower with her? Or cease your quest of love. This feels a bit like the flip of a coin. Lear acknowledges that both Burgundy and France have been pursuing Cordelia's hand in marriage, but now he asks what must be a surprising question to them. What would be the smallest dowry that Burgundy would accept for marrying Cordelia? How low would it have to be to make him withdraw his suit, or, as Lear puts it, Cease your quest of love. Burgundy answers, Most royal majesty, I crave no more than what your highness offered, nor will you tender less. Check your edition of the play to see if this line ends with a question mark. It should, according to the quarto and the folio. Burgundy says politely to Lear's royal majesty that he only wants what Lear offered which, you might assume, is a third of the kingdom. Not a bad dowry. And then he ends the line with, nor will you tender less. It's a question. It's fairly reasonable to be asking, what's going on? Surely Lear hasn't changed his mind so much in the last few minutes that he would now offer less. Obviously, Lear now has to explain Cordelia's much-changed status. Right noble Burgundy, when she was dear to us, we did hold her so. But now her price is fallen. Sir, there she stands. If aught within that little seeming substance, or all of it, with our displeasure pieced and nothing more, may fitly like your grace, she's there, and she is yours. Lear plays with the meaning of dear, since it means beloved but also expensive. When Cordelia was still precious to him, she was of great, inestimable value. He loved her, and would have given her that greatest third of his kingdom. But now, after everything, her price has fallen. Her dowry is no longer going to happen. Lear points her out, maybe drags her back to centre stage. Sir, he says to Burgundy, there she stands, as if to say that she'll have nothing else other than the clothes she's wearing. Lear says that if there's anything about her that Burgundy likes, he can have her. 
he reduces her to almost nothing, a little seeming substance. Seeming is a great issue in this play, and already we wince for Cordelia, since all she's done is refuse to seem, or appear something that she doesn't hold to be honest. Now Lear insists that all she'll have as a dowry is his displeasure, and nothing more. He gets the dig in, quoting her own word back to her. And if, fitly, by any chance, that's enough for Burgundy, she's there, and she is his. You'd swear poor Cordelia was a cow in a market. It's horrible the way Lear reduces her. Burgundy shows his true colours now, and says, I know no answer. He doesn't know what to say, but we can intuit that he won't be taking her. Lear asks, Will you, with those infirmities she owes, unfriended, new adopted to our hate, dowered with our curse and strangered with our oath, take her or leave her? Lear actually asks Burgundy, Will you take her or leave her? He mentions her weaknesses, infirmities, how she's now hated by her king and father, and a sworn enemy, no less. She's strangered with Lear's oath. And the only thing that Lear will give Cordelia as a wedding present is his curse. He seems to be getting eloquent in his rage and malice. Take her or leave her. What a choice. Burgundy apologises. Pardon me, royal sir. Election makes not up on such conditions. Burgundy can't choose. Election or the process of choosing, cannot make up its mind on such conditions. In other words, without that third of the kingdom, Burgundy's having a hard time choosing Cordelia. She's not enough for him if she doesn't have the cash and land. Lear doesn't seem too surprised or bothered. He says, Then leave her, sir, for by the power that made me, I tell you all her wealth. He's letting Burgundy off the hook, because Cordelia... He swears by God, the power that made him, has nothing else to her name. And as Burgundy sidles away, Lear now turns to the King of France. For you, great king, I would not from your love make such a stray to match you where I hate. Therefore beseech you to avert your liking a more worthier way than on a wretch whom nature is ashamed almost to acknowledge hers. Lear all but assumes that the mighty king of France would never be bothered with a worthless bride like this. And indeed, he would not, as he puts it, stray away from such a beloved ally by trying to make a marriage alliance with this daughter he now hates. I would not, from your love, make such a stray to match you where I hate. Instead, Lear encourages France to move on and find a bride somewhere better. He beseeches him to avert his liking a more worthier way than on a wretch whom nature is ashamed almost to acknowledge hers. Lear is pushing the envelope so far here. It's not just Lear himself that won't acknowledge Cordelia any more. He's saying even Mother Nature would be ashamed to acknowledge her as a human at all. This image of a poor wretch at the limits of human nature, will also appear later in the play. But Lear's mockery and derision of Cordelia, his sometime daughter, 
is a real pylon. But France's answer is surprising. This is most strange, that she, that even but now was your best object, the argument of your praise, balm of your age, most best, most dearest, should in this trice of time commit a thing so monstrous to dismantle so many folds of favour. Sure, her offence must be of such unnatural degree that monsters it, or your forevouched affection fallen into taint, which, to believe of her, must be a faith that reason without miracle could never plant in me. The King of France seems far more generous of spirit than Burgundy. He actually seems to be on Cordelia's side, although he's very careful how he says so. He starts off by saying how strange it is for such a change to have come over Lear's relationship with his favourite daughter. Even now, he says, Cordelia was his best object. Now, not an object as in a possession, so much as the object of Lear's affection. She was the argument or focus of his praise, balm of his age, most best, most dearest. France has obviously seen them at court during his stay, and is dismayed now at the difference in the way Lear is treating his daughter. The king has to assume that Cordelia did something monstrous for all this affection to be dismantled in, as he gingerly puts it, a trice of time. This is also a good reminder of just how quickly Cordelia has fallen from favour. France continues that surely her offence, whatever she's done, must be so unnatural, so awful, that it has monstered Lear's love for her. It has turned his love into something very hateful indeed. His former affection has fallen into absolute disgust. But, and here's the shift in the king's speech, he can't believe that Cordelia can have done anything so awful. To believe that she could have done such a thing would be to hold a belief or faith that would never even occur to him. Not even a miracle could plant such an idea in his head. Sure, her offence must be of such unnatural degree that monsters it, or your forevouched affection fallen into taint, which to believe of her must be a faith that reason without miracle could never plant in me. Kent tried to stand up for Cordelia, but Lear was far too angry and just banished him forever. He can't banish the King of France, although the latter's challenge is subtler. All he said is that he doesn't believe Cordelia could do anything wrong. Perhaps he's going to accept her as his bride, despite her newfound poverty. It's actually Cordelia that's going to speak next in the play, but of course we're going to save her until the next episode. Thank you for joining me, as always, and sorry this episode is a little later in the day than usual. I hope you're getting as much as I am from this great play, and I'll speak to you next time.